Happy New Year. How you doing? You good? That's exciting news. I'm the personality that you don't have to ask me twice to cheer. I'm like ready at all times to cheer and applaud. That was really exciting what we collectively could do together as a church. And I love that. Our church is never built on one or two great gifts of generosity to make an impact. It's every single one of us doing our part together. That's the beauty of the church, working together to fulfill the great mission we've been given. So can we give God some praise one more time? Like, come on, give him, like, God's good. Miracles are going to happen this year. It's phenomenal. It's a new year. And I, I'm, I'm kind of like uh, damorous with the, you know, New Year's resolutions. I really like New Year's resolutions. I like goals. It's kind of my personality. I love it. And I was reading some of the, you know, New Year's resolutions, the common ones that are online. And, you know, there's always the ones that make sense. Like, I'm going to the gym every day. Like, yeah, cool. And then there's the, like, you know, I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to travel more. This is my year. I'm going to Europe, you know. And then there's, like, one that's just almost, like, they went through categories and decided that they needed to have, like, a fun category or, like, I need to learn and better myself category. So it's, like, I'm going to learn how to do this. Like, I'm going to take a class, you know. I'm going to read a book a week, whatever it might be. But it's, like, this whole, I want to I want to develop new skills. I want to create new hobbies. And I realized as I was looking at these, I don't have hobbies. Like, I, I don't, you know. I hang out with my friends and my family. I work. I, I, I read, I guess, but really, I don't, I mean, I go to the gym, but these are not hobbies. They're just like living life, you know? Some people have hobbies. Like my husband, he loves to golf, you know? I have a friend, they, they, there's a couple that, of ours uh, that our friends, they love to ski. You know, somebody knits, like he knits really well. I don't do any of those things. I like show up, you know? I, I watch movies. Does that count? Like, is that a hobby, you know? I wish I could put on the New Year's resolutions, like this year. I'm watching more Netflix originals. Like, this is my year, you know? Like, but it just isn't cool to say that. But I love movies. I love it. I love the art of storytelling through film. And I'm fascinated by behind the scenes and all of the facts. And I'm kinda, I kind of geek out over that. I love IMDb. It is, like, my favorite website to go to. I have the app on my phone. Anybody with me? Like, I love movies, and I'm proud of it. You know, this is my year. I'm just letting the world know. Uh, and, and so I, I like to study trends in film. Last year, there was a really interesting trend that took place amongst films. There was two films in particular that, they, I mean, they, they slayed at the box office. They broke records. They, they became like overnight cult fandom sensations. And they surprised a lot of critics. And they were similar because both of them told very, very um, uh, parallel, kind of similar storylines of this family, these families trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic world. And there's destructive forces at play. There's menacing creatures. And they're trying to survive. Now, the first one, some of you are already probably guessing, if you're moviegoers, what these movies were. The first one came out early of last year. It was A Quiet Place. And it starred, yeah, OK, some of you are familiar. It looks kind of creepy, right? A Quiet Yes, very scary. A Quiet Place. And it starred, uh, it was directed by and co-written by John Kravinsky. Yes, Jim Halpert from The Office. And then his real-life wife, Emily Blunt, a.k.a. the latest Mary Poppins, right? And this, this surprised critics because people could not believe that Jim Halpert from the late NBC TV show The Office could actually produce this incredible powerhouse of a film and it definitely made a lot of noise in the box office in the first and third week of, of being available to to see it actually was number one 
It grossed over 300 million after only two months of being in the theaters. And those of us who like the movie, we can get excited because there's already a sequel in the works, okay? So yes, right, that's the first one. Then the second one with a similar kind of storyline, it came out towards the end of last year. It was a Netflix original starring Sandra Bullock and she's a mother trying to keep her kids alive and it was called Bird Box, right? And, and now Netflix is pretty hush-hush about their viewership and their numbers, but they were really excited to tweet publicly after one week of this movie being out that it had had already over 45 million views on accounts. Not individuals who own an account, but just an account, 45 million plus views, making it the biggest release ever for Netflix, okay? So this is huge, and it became a viral sensation. People started the hashtag bird box challenge. It was very ill-advised and self-imposed, and I'm sure still happening in different parts of our world, but people would blindfold themselves and record themselves doing very ordinary tasks. Now... (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, but there's actually been injuries. And so Netflix has had to issue a public warning against these challenges because they've become such a viral sensation. Now, these, these movies are fascinating, both of these movies. They're fascinating because they surprised the critics, critics because they did so well. Numbers don't lie, right? But there's another similarity between both of these films. Both of these films not only take place in this post-apocalyptic world, and they focus on a family trying to survive, but there's something interesting. Yes, there are destructive forces at play, menacing creatures, evil that is lurking, but that alone is not what makes these storylines so fascinating. It's that in both of these storylines, people, in order to survive, no longer have access to one of those most basic abilities they need to maneuver in dangerous situations. In a quiet place, the the family couldn't speak. They couldn't say anything. They could not make a noise. They couldn't hear another person's voice to know how to direct themselves with these destructive forces at play. If they made a sound, they could die. And in Bird Box, if somebody were to look out into the open, then they could be killed. They would become suicidal in this world and self-destruct. So they have to blindfold themselves and try to maneuver into safety in this dangerous terrain. Now, this idea that there's evil lurking behind every corner, that's not a new concept. Let's be real. That's a storyline that gets told all the time. There's a whole genre dedicated to that in film and in books. That alone isn't what made these two films so sensational. It's that not only are there destructive forces at play, but as humans, we don't have access to what we need in order to survive and journey through. And without these basic needs, then a story that's been told time and time again now becomes terrifying. In fact, it becomes captivating, so captivating that it breaks records, that it becomes cult hits overnight. And these stories, I really believe they tapped into something. They became a cultural sensation for us last year because they speak to a very deep truth that we know. Every human being understands this as if prophetically the arts have spoken. There's a cry coming from within our culture that knows this world has evil at play. Not everything is okay with the world. There's things that have gone amok. There are destructive forces. There is darkness. There are messy, broken places in this world. And what we need more than anything is the ability to hear clearly and see clearly, to know how to navigate through the messy terrain. 
And we can't just hear any voice. We need to hear God's voice. And we can't just see through any lens. We actually need to see what God sees in order to move in this world. We need to see the kingdom of God. We need to hear God's voice. We yearn deep inside every single human being for this kind of clarity and direction in our lives. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we see a man who's in deep need of these things, who's desperate to hear God's voice and to see clearly, to assess where he is so that he can move forward. He's a great man, a great prophet by the name of Elijah. And long before Jesus ever walked the earth and performed a miracle, Elijah, he was a prophet who spoke. He spoke against injustice and idolatry, and he did it faithfully. And through his ministry, there were many great signs and wonders and miracles that took place. But how many of you know that being faithful to your assignment that God has given you doesn't make you exempt from challenges? It doesn't act as a get-out-of-jail-free card, and it didn't for Elijah. His life was no exception. And he finds himself at a place in his life where even though he's been faithful, even though he's been doing exactly what God has told him to do, he now has to, he's forced into hiding because a very powerful queen is out to destroy him. She wants to kill him. So he's alone. He's in the wilderness. He's isolated. He's depressed. In fact, he's suicidal. He's in an incredibly lonely, dangerous spot. And as we read his story in 1 Kings chapter 19, I hope, I pray that our eyes are opened to not only Elijah's deep need to hear God's voice and to see what God saw, but they we would awaken to ours as well. And that we would leave here empowered to hear God's voice in our everyday lives and to see the kingdom of God at play in our day-to-day living. In fact, let's pray for this very thing before we jump into reading 1 Kings 19 together. Jesus, we thank you that you're here in this space. We thank you, God, that you're good. We sang about your goodness earlier in worship. You are good. You are faithful. Thank you for how uniquely and how perfectly and how completely you love every single one of us. Regardless of where we are in our journey of faith, God, we open our hearts to you right now. And we say, speak. We're listening. We say, Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Jesus, show yourself to us through the word. And may we leave different than we came in. Not because we went through the routine of a service on a Sunday, but because we experienced and encountered you right here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin reading his story, starting in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out. Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Cut and paste. I'm just going to repeat the same narrative, God, and now you're really going to give me the answer I need, right? And then the Lord said to him, go back, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Iran, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Naholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword, and Elijah will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Go back and fulfill the mission I gave you. Go back because there's work to do. Go back because I'm going to use you to anoint kings. The kingdom that's trying to kill you right now, go back because I'm going to use you to overthrow the current kingdom and create a new legacy. The work you think that is going to be done because you're the only one left, no, 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 go, because I have someone for you to mentor. I have another prophet you don't know about, but you're about to know him. Go. Go to the same place that you've been running from. And by the way, you think you're alone, but no, no, no. There's thousands that have been serving me. You're not as alone as you think. So he leaves this situation. And as the story continues for him, which we don't have time to read this morning, he follows God's instructions and he actually enters into a new season of fruitfulness and ministry, a new season of effectiveness, so effective, in fact, that he mentors Elisha, this young apprentice, and Elisha goes on to perform twice as many miracles as Elijah ever did and continues to lead God's people towards holiness and goodness in a time of deep corruption and injustice. This This is what he entered into. And as we read the story, there's so many things that we can glean from this interaction that Elijah has at his lowest moment in life. But if we're going to read any story and we're going to take anything away from it, we have to ask the big question. What was the climactic moment? What was the turnaround moment for Elijah? In order to understand any story, you got to know when things changed. What was it? What was it exactly that propelled him out of alone, isolated, desperate wilderness into bold, brave, and fruitful and effective? It wasn't the food and water. It wasn't. I mean, I would think it would be, you know? Like, I would think that an angel showing up, handing you divine fast food, would be enough to be reminded, God's got my back. I'm going to go and fulfill mission. Like at the lowest moment of my life, 
If I'm questioning everything and I'm sulking on my couch in the living room, all of a sudden I look up, there's an angel holding Chipotle saying, eat up. I'd be like, God's good, you know? Like it's enough. But it wasn't enough for Elijah. It wasn't his breakthrough moment. In fact, after he has the food and water twice from the angel, his life doesn't get bigger, it gets smaller. He goes from open wilderness to small enclosed cave living. It wasn't enough. The food and water was able to sustain him, but it wasn't his breakthrough moment. Because God was trying to teach Elijah something in the season. He was trying to show Elijah something in the midst of his wilderness. That he wanted to do more for Elijah than simply sustain him in survival mode. He had more for him than simply provision. Now hear me. God provided for Elijah. He needed the food and water and God provided. And in the same way, in any season of our lives, we can look to our God, our heavenly father, who is good and perfect, and he will provide. He'll meet our needs. In fact, scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, I'm so glad it says all things and not some things, at all times, with the job, without the job, in the expensive city of New York, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We can count on God to bless us. We can ask and believe that he's going to take care of us. But there is more to life than simply getting our needs met. There is more to life than simply the things and the blessings. There's more that God wants to show us, just like there was more that God wanted to show Elijah in the wilderness. God was saying to Elijah, listen, I will sustain you, and I am your provider, but there's more hats than I wear than that in your life. There's more to the relationship here. I'm not interested in just sustaining you. I'm interested in changing you. He needed to change Elijah's perspective. What Elijah saw when he looked at his present, when he looked at his future. But in order to change what Elijah saw, he first had to change what Elijah was hearing. And many of us, we want fresh vision. We want clear direction for our life this year. We're making our goals, or we're thinking about making our goals. And we're here, and we're worshiping, and it's the first service of the new year, and we're like, yeah, God. Let's do this thing. Show me. We want fresh vision. But we can't get vision until we learn how to hear. Until we're listening to the right voice. So God leads Elijah out of the cave. And we know the story. We just read it. There's a mighty wind. And then an earthquake and an all-consuming fire, and then the gentle whisper. Mm. And it was in the gentle whisper. Elijah found God. I hope God does mighty things in our lives this year. I hope there's loud, obvious moments of God's miracle hand at work in our lives. But even those moments, even though we want them, 
even though they'd be easy to read. They're not always the moments that change us. More often than not, it's in the gentle whisper. Elijah found God in the whisper. The whisper is so quiet. Elijah had to lean in to hear it. Elijah had to shh, silent, to hear it. He had to focus all of his attention, all of his senses, to pick up on the whisper. Perhaps God is speaking more than we think he is. He's just quieter than we expect him to be. And maybe God is looking for us this year to figure out how to lean in, how to shh, silence certain noises, how to focus all our attention on knowing Jesus and finding God in the whisper. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is preaching to a crowd. He's teaching. There's a crowd, there's followers, there's his disciples, and he's teaching primarily through storytelling, through parables. But in the middle of his storytelling, he interrupts the planned program, and he issues a warning and a command. The Passion Translation puts it this way. Jesus said to them, be diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. For as you do, more understanding will be given to you. And according to the depth of your longing to understand, much more will be added to you. For those who listen with open hearts will receive more revelation. But those who don't listen with open hearts will lose what little they think they have. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm speaking. But are you willing to lean in? I talk to so many people. And truly, they're hungry to know God's voice for themselves. They are. I believe that there's this growing discontentment with simply hearing somebody else's revelation. Like, yeah, we want to be inspired every now and again by a great sermon, by a good podcast. But we also recognize that's not enough. We want to hear God speak to us. We want to know God's voice in a way that is vibrant and exciting to our faith and our life. We yearn for resounding truth in a world of white noise. We desire sacred space in our everyday. We're just not sure how to get it. And some of us, this story resonates in 1 Kings chapter 19, not because we've read it or heard it a ton of times, but because we understand we, we, we've experienced, like Elijah, those moments in our lives where we've heard God in the gentle whisper. We've opened the Bible for ourselves, not here, but in our room or in our kitchen. <laughs> and suddenly we came across exactly what we needed to read. It was like, God is speaking directly to me right now. Or there's been other times where we've been praying and we've just allowed silence for a minute. And God has spoke. And it's been exactly what we needed at exactly the right moment. We too have found God in the whisper. But life happens. Schedules get pretty crowded. 
we get tired. The honeymoon period of daily devotions or time spent praying or reading the Bible is over. And before you know it, the idea of opening up the Bible or praying or meditating or any of these things where we would lean in to hear God, they feel more like religious obligation than a response to a passionate pursuit of Jesus. And yet, we yearn for more. God is speaking. The good news is that God is speaking. That he wants to speak to every single one of us. That we've been given the gift of the spirit of God as believers. He wants to reveal truth to us. He's speaking. And so with the rest of the time that we have this morning, I want us to just look at two very simple ways, and yet beautiful ways, for us to lean in this year and begin to cultivate what it means and what it looks like to find God in the whisper every single day. First is this. We spend time reading, you know where this is going, and meditating on God's word. Outside of these walls, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we we find the space to do this. I, I find it really fascinating. There's so many parallels and so many themes throughout scripture. And Jesus, in his ministry, before he actually was launched into his public ministry, if you you read the accounts, he actually enters into the wilderness as well. And for 40 days, he is fasting, he's praying. It's a lot of praying for that amount of fasting, and he's there. And Satan, the ruler of all evil, meets him in the wilderness. Jesus comes face to face with evil. Kind of similar to a quiet place, bird box, there's evil at work, right? Jesus is here in this moment, and evil meets him in the wilderness. And this is Jesus. This is the same Jesus who goes on in the Gospels to, with a single command, calm a storm. This is the same Jesus whose name causes demons to tremble and flee, just his name. This is the same Jesus who touches people and they are instantly healed. This is the same Jesus who can take a sack lunch and multiply it to feed thousands. This is the same Jesus who speaks and the dead raise back to life. He's got all power, all authority. And yet, how does he choose to fight evil in the wilderness? His knowledge and application of God's written word. Every single time Satan tempts him, he responds. The rebuttal begins, it is written. And Satan is so frustrated by Jesus' knowledge and application of truth that he leaves the wilderness defeated. And Jesus, ever the conqueror, enters into the ministry that he was meant to do on the earth. There is power in knowing for ourselves the word of God and applying it in our lives. It's through the written word of God at work in our lives that we are able to see deception for what it is, to read evil for what it is, and to navigate our way through the messy places so that we too can overcome. The Bible is not just stories and accounts. It's so much more. 
Hebrews 4.12 describes the word of God this way. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. So get this, when we actually read and meditate on the Bible for ourselves, yes, we're reading the Bible, but more importantly, the Bible is reading us in all of the best ways. When we choose to spend time on our own in God's word, we enter into a whole new season of fruitfulness and effectiveness. We're no longer living off of somebody else's revelation of God's word. We're growing in our ability to hear God speak to us. And I want to encourage every single one of us. The Bible was not written for scholars and experts only. Don't be overwhelmed or intimidated by big theological terms. The Bible was written for you and me. It's a gift from God so that we could know him, know ourselves, and know how to navigate well in this world. And so I want to get really practical with us because I think we're in the full spectrum here when it comes to our relationship with the Bible. I bet there's some people that they're like, preach. I read the Bible every day and I love it. Yes, girl. You know, and there's others who are like, no, why are you going there? There's already 10 things I'm wanting to try to do this year and I don't know how to read the Bible, right? Or some of you are like, I don't understand it. I've tried. I feel like this is quickly turning into like a spiritual guilt trip. I know what I should do and I'm not doing it. You know, like we feel the full spectrum in this room. But I want to make this really easy for every single one of us because it is actually God's design for us to know his word so we could know his will, which means every single one of us can have an even more captivating, vibrant relationship with God's word this year. So I'm going to get real practical. Ready? This is some tips Things that we can do to cultivate daily time reading and meditating on God's word. Number one, when you read, find a quiet and undistracted space. Now, this might be in the morning with your coffee in the kitchen. It could be at night in your bedroom as you're winding down from the day and getting ready for bed. If you got like young kids, it could be like locking yourself in the bathroom with your Bible and being like, give mommy two minutes, you know, whatever it might be. But find that undistracted, quiet space. And you're intentionally saying, God, I'm creating something sacred in the ordinary for you to speak to me, however you want to speak to me today. All right, so that's first tip. Second tip is that you actually want to find a consistent time. Okay, and this is true of all things in life, right? But if you're like, today it's going to be the morning, tomorrow it's going to be at night, I don't know, we'll figure it out as we go, then that's a recipe for disaster because there's no intention to it, right? So just find a consistent time. So if it's waking up 20 minutes earlier, you know, setting the alarm, waking up, if it's saying no to one more show on TV, you know, even though you love The Office or you love Parks and Rec, whatever it might be, just say no and, 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 and have that time in God's word. But go ahead and protect that space and, and be intentional about it. Next, you want to find a translation that works for you. Like, and here's what I mean by works for you. One that you can read and understand. Now, here's the caveat. This is God's word. There are some things that are mysterious about God. So there's some things that are mysterious about his word. But I mean like the language do you understand it? If you speak these and thous, then go for it. King James, that's your jam. But if you don't talk that way every day, find a translation that works for you. So here's my recommendation. I have a couple. NIV, New International Translation, or, or version. And then the NLT, the New Living Translation. Uh, and then the Passion Translation I love. I've discovered a couple years ago, and I love it. And that's available in the New Testament Psalms Proverbs only. So that'll be like complimentary to some other version. But here's the thing. You can go to BibleGateway.com 
and you can plug in your favorite verse, because we all have one. Maybe we never read the Bible before, but we got a verse, John 3, 16, whatever it is. And you plug it in, and then you can look up all the different versions, and you can start to get familiar with which one will work for you. It's so easy, but find one that works for you. Okay, another tip. Avoid scrolling on your phone and checking your emails during that time that you set apart to read and meditate. Like, let's be real, because it happens, you know? Like, I don't know what it is, but the biggest distraction in our lives, I think in general, the greatest tool for communication is also the greatest distraction is our phone. So I don't know what you need to do if you need to, like, leave it in another room, if you need to, like, sit on it. I don't know what you need to do, but just have that time, just the few minutes where you're saying, you know what, the email's still going to be there. The Instagram scroll's still going to be there. I can check it any time, but right now, this is me and my creator. This is the most important meeting I could be having right now, right? And then the next thing is this. Keep at it. Like, keep at it. I don't know why we do this to ourselves, but we miss one day and we're like, oh, I tried. I failed. Forget it, right? But the Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3 that God's mercies are new for us every morning. Yeah, this, it's like this. Hey, it's a new day. So maybe yesterday didn't work. Today's a new day. Jump into today. Make the most of today. Celebrate the progress along the way. Don't let regret and shame and a missed day sabotage your spiritual growth. Just, just keep at it, you know, like all good things. Here's another one. Less is more. Here's what I mean. Now, there are times where you might want to do a full study. You, like, love this stuff. You're like, I'm ready to geek out. I got my commentaries. I got it all, whatever. Like, it's amazing. But that's not what I'm talking about here for everyday discipline. You know, I'm talking about just spending a few moments reading and reflecting and meditating on God's word. So less is more. So you don't need to read seven chapters in five different translations in order to feel like you did a good job. Actually, I would recommend one to two chapters tops a day in whatever you're reading, right? So you can really read it, really think about what it says, really ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, reflect on it, and, and, and get a game plan in your life partnering with the Holy Spirit on how to apply that in your life that day. Like, that's, that's the goal of time. So, so less is more, okay? You don't need to feel guilty because you're not reading the whole Bible in a year. If you want to do that, great. That's awesome. I did that last year. It's amazing. But just park somewhere and spend some quality time in God's Word. It's about quality, not quantity. Or as my sister likes to put it when it comes to how long-winded I can be, Nicole, it doesn't have to be everlasting to be eternal, all right? So, like, just, it's about quality, not quantity, right? And if you're going, well, I don't even know where to start here. Well, here's, here's something I'd recommend. If you're like, oh, I don't know. Start with one of the Gospels. It's the life and ministry of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, write them down. You can start there. Just read a chapter, a portion even of a chapter a day, and then reflect on that. And that leads me to my second, or my next point. Reflect and ask questions. We live in a world today where we don't have much reflection in our lives. We just are exposed to content. Consume, 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 consume. Scroll, 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 scroll. Our attention span is smaller than ever. And even though we're exposed to so many headlines, we don't actually know a lot of what we're talking about <laughs> because we don't take time to really reflect. So when you read, then ask questions along the way. Like after you're done reading whatever you read, ask questions. Like with 1 Kings chapter 19, let's ask the question, what was the breakthrough moment for Elisha? What does this teach us about God? What does this teach me about me? What does this say about the season that I'm in? We have to make space to reflect and ask these questions. And what we're doing is we're allowing God to speak to us. We're saying, God, I'm searching. I'm leaning in. So what do you want to say to me, right? I hope these help. I hope these really help you kind of find your groove. And I guess my last suggestion would be this. Do it together. Like, do it with someone. Now, here's not, I, I'm, I'm like a person who likes me time. 
I love being around people, but then I love me too. You know what I mean? And some of you are like that. And so I'm not saying that you need to like do this time with another person physically. What I'm saying is talk to a friend or a roommate or your spouse and say, let's read Mark together. So how about we do a chapter day or how about we do this or how about we do this Bible plan or version has this devotion. Let's do this thing. Let's do it together. And then once a week, let's talk about it. Because here's the cool thing. God is going to give revelation to that person that maybe he didn't give to you. And you're going to have something to bring to the table that the Holy Spirit spoke to you that maybe that person didn't catch. That's the power of community. We get to grow in our faith together. We lean in when we open the word and open our hearts to hear God speak to us. And here's the second way, very quickly, that we lean in. We lean in by developing and cultivating a listening ear through silence and solitude. Have you ever talked to somebody and they're like, man, I really need your advice? And you're like, cool, let's sit down. And then they like, just talk the whole time. And every time you try to say something, when you try to be like, oh, and, and oh, oh yeah, well, what about, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, and, and then they just go off again, you know? You didn't get any words in at the end, but at the end of it, they're like, that was really good, thank you, this is what I needed, like, your advice, I'm going to apply that. I'm like, I didn't even have a chance to give it, you know, right? We're laughing because we've been in those situations, or we've been those people. If you're not laughing, maybe you're like, oh, maybe it's me, you know, right? If we're not careful, that's how our time of prayer can, can turn into. God, this is what I need, this is what I'm thinking. Dear diary, Jesus, listen, right? And we don't create space for the Spirit of God to speak to us. Prayer is not just the speaking, it's the listening. In fact, Jesus had such an intimate relationship with God the Father, they were one, that his disciples who saw him more closely than anybody else, they asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. In in other words, Jesus, you, you have such an incredible relationship with God the Father. We want this. What do we need to do? And many of us are familiar with the Our Father, the prayer that that Jesus says, this is how you pray. But I also want us to take note of Jesus' behavior. Again and again in the Gospels, Jesus is found waking up early, going off to lonely places. That was his lonely places to pray. He got away from the noise of the crowd so that he could listen. And there's power when we create that kind of space in our lives as well. Let's be real. Silence is awkward. We don't know what to do. We're not programmed for it. We get antsy, we get uncomfortable, we cry boredom, <laughs> we pull out our phones, and we start doing something. I myself am a pretty go-go person. I'm very like, let's have a goal, let's do something. As soon as I'm up, I'm up, you know, and I'm a morning person. My husband loves that, you know. Hey babe, how you doing? He's like, not yet, not yet, you know, <laughs> like, right? And he's always like, babe, why are you fidgeting all the time? I'm like that kind of person, you know, I'm like, I get like. It's very hard for me to sit still. So let me tell you, if I can learn how to cultivate this practice and God has spoken to me through it, then I promise you, you can do it too. Like you can, right? It is the way of Jesus and as followers of Jesus, we've got to lean into his ways so that we can grow closer to God in the process. God has that for each and every one of us. So make this real simple too. Here's something you can do, pretty practical. Before you start reading your Bible every day, see what I did there? Before you do that, Just take a couple minutes to be silent and reflect. Like, even set your phone if you need to. Two to four minutes. I guess it. You have to start with, like, I'm going to spend a whole day in silence. Like, if you've never done that before, that might be a lot. But, like, two minutes. And just sit and have intentional reflection. Maybe reflect on one aspect of the character of God. Maybe right now you're stressed out. 
why don't you just reflect on how Jesus is the Prince of Peace and just reflect on that for a couple minutes and see if God doesn't speak to you about how much he cares for you, right? These are the kind of moments we can cultivate in our lives. I pray that we would, more than ever this year, through these simple practices, learn how to lean in, that we would recognize that God has more for us this year than simply sustenance. He wants to provide, but he wants to do more. He wants to transform us through an intimate, real relationship with him. We can find God in the whisper, not just in the big conferences or the great sermons. We can find him every day. He's speaking to us. The question is, are we willing to listen? Can I pray for us this morning? Jesus, I thank you. Oh, God, I thank you. That you don't actually turn the cold shoulder on us. You don't give us the silent treatment in our lives when we yearn for you. That you respond, that your invitation to us is real. And that you love us and that more than anything this year, you want to speak to us in the everyday. You want to bring direction and clarity to our lives. We don't have to live life spiritually blindfolded. <laughs> we don't have to go through life always afraid or wondering what the next step is. And we can actually discover your will. We can know more of who you are. And we can walk in the abundant plans that you have for our lives. And so, Jesus, may we hear you in the whisper. May we learn how to be in your presence, O oh God, this year, daily. Daily, may we hear you. And may that truly transform not just our year, but our lives. And as we're in this attitude of praying, I just wonder. I wonder if there's anybody in this room and you say, you know what, Nicole, to be honest, a lot of this was what I needed to hear. Some of this really stood out to me, but I just feel really far from God. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you're familiar with the gospel story that Jesus himself, the Son of God, paid the ultimate price for you on the cross, that he did for all humanity. He did for me. He did for you what we could never do for ourselves. Sin entered the picture, but God made it right by giving his life for us. You know this, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead and conquered death so you don't have to fear death in your life, so that you could know God intimately, so that you can know perfect love, you know this, but maybe life has happened and you'd say, I'm really not following Jesus like I used to or like I want to. But today at the beginning of this year, I want to get some things in order and I want to get the most important thing in order. I want to have a real relationship with God, a personal one. I want to place my faith again in Jesus and I want to follow him. Or maybe you're in this room and you say, you know what? I've never made that decision. I've gone through the motions of religion. I've explored different faiths. I've kind of done things on my own but I've never really thought that God could be so for me that he'd want a personal relationship, that he'd want to speak to me in the everyday. And today I want to begin that relationship. I want to follow God. I want to place my faith in Jesus and accept the gift of salvation that he has for me. I want to turn from doing things on my own to relying on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, if you're in any, either of those two categories, then I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. And so if you could just, on the count of three, just to give you time. And if you know that's you, you already know that's you, so don't, don't worry about it if that's you. Then just wave at me so I know who I'm praying for, okay? 